there. It's Carla and Claire. We're here with the last installment of the Basically Podcast, but don't worry. We have had so much fun chatting with you guys that we're hoping to add a more regular call-in segment to our usual podcast. So please keep sending us your questions, having trouble with a recipe, an ingredient, or need inspiration. Seriously, there's nothing too small. So write to us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com and we'll be in touch. Today we're chatting with Emily Resnick and Joe Guzzo. Emily wanted some suggestions for quick, creative, healthy-ish meals she could make after coming home late from work, and if there was anything she could do to prep ahead of time, a problem I think we've all faced. And Joe is having some trouble with homemade pasta, but honestly, we're just impressed that he's even going for it. He said it always turns out cracking and falling apart, or it just feels too starchy. So we help him figure that out and how he can make the next batch even better. Now let's do this. Here's Emily. Hello, everyone. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Such a treat to be talking to you all. Thank you so much. Yeah, we're, it's we're our excited. pleasure. Yeah, we just want to start by hearing what your question is and how we can talk to you about like all your home cooking problems. Absolutely. Well, thank you. I need all the help I can get. <laughs> so one of my biggest issues with cooking I is that I love it so much. No matter what time I get after work, which is usually around 7.30, I still want to cook an awesome dinner for myself, my boyfriend, and sometimes some lucky roommates as well, too. So I love inviting people over uh, to share an amazing meal, but everyone makes fun of me because usually since I come home so late, dinner is normally not ready before 9 p.m. Got so it. I wanted to just ask you guys what we're some uh, great dishes that I could make that were healthy-ish that I could do quickly after I got home from work. Okay, awesome. This so is good. We have a, we have a lot to, to say about this. What um, what kind of meal, like, uh, just tell me a little bit about, like, what kind of eater you are. Do you, do you see yourself as someone who likes, you know, having a protein and a vegetable and another thing? Or are you, will you put everything in a bowl and have it like that? Um, do you want more traditional, more, more sort of um, experimental flavors, spicy, not spicy, things like that? Yeah, so, so I joke, but sometimes the biggest issue my boyfriend and I have is that we eat everything. So usually our dinners consist of, yeah, protein, vegetable, and some other fun side, but totally open to anything. So not sure if that is much help for you, but yeah, we love all sorts of international flavors as well. Spicy food, bring it on. And yeah, it might be kind of cool to experiment with some one bowl or one dish meals, but yeah, we eat it all. <laughs> cool. Awesome. I think this is, I like this question because it gives us a chance to talk a lot about strategy because I think like, it sounds like you're a, a pretty comfortable home cook. So it's not like we need to talk to you about different cooking techniques, but more like strategy and how to plan and how to get it done quickly. Right. You right. know, because Absolutely. 
um, 7.30 and you're hungry and then you're waiting till 9 and then all of a sudden you eat and it's 10 o'clock and it's like... You have to clean up. You have to clean up. You have to watch Game of Thrones. You have to like do all Amen. sorts of things. Absolutely. So <laughs> I also just want to make sure that when you are cooking for roommates that they are then cleaning up because that's the bargain. Yeah, that's a house rule. I will say that is one of my favorite rules in our house. If I cook, I do not clean. Exactly. So, yeah. Great. Yeah. Good. Okay. Great. Okay. Great. So that's We'll still try to keep things in like a one dish, one pot, one sheet tray kind of space. But if you have to throw in a couple extra bowls or something, we won't feel too bad about it because you don't have to do the dishes. Yeah. One of my favorite strategies if I'm doing if I'm going to do a piece of protein that, you know, um, maybe is going to take 20 to 30 minutes to be cooked completely and this, I'm sure Claire has ideas about this too, as far as strategy goes, is sort of like just figuring out what the the thing that takes the longest to cook and getting that started. And then there's all of that, you know, that meanwhile time, you know, so (laughs) meanwhile, you could be, you know, making a salad dressing and running the, you know, salad leaves through the spinner or chopping up vegetables to be your side or, you know, a steak cooks in about the same amount of time as a pot of rice. So just trying to think of instead of doing one thing at a time and then it all adds up to a meal is is how can I time this so that maybe I'm using two pots and two burners, but dinner is going to be in 30 to 40 minutes instead of an hour and a half. I love it. Right. So Emily, my question is, are you like, what kind of grocery shopper are you? Are you going to the market once a week or is there a place you can stop on your way home from work? Cause I think that like a lot of the planning, I just think that like meal strategy, strategizing during the week is all about planning. And I'm, I'm a planner. So like, I like, I would be like, okay, I'm going to have this for dinner on Tuesday. Maybe I'll go out Wednesday and then Thursday, Friday, I'll do this or that. But some people I know like don't want to plan. See, yeah. And I'm, that's the, not I'm, I'm the complete opposite. Like I really believe in having kind of um, like a base coat of what I need in the house to cook with. So I keep my grains and my oils and my condiments and, you know, one or two sturdy vegetables, like that's always there. And then for me, it's more about what am I in the mood for? What looks good at the market? so that I can just fill in with that piece of protein that I might not know what I want until I walk in the store, but then whatever sort of looks good. And then on the walk home is when I figure (laughs) out, okay, I know I have a bunch of Swiss chard. I just got a, you know, um, a bag of scallops, whatever. Um, So yeah, we're a little, little different, but I think the, the key part is that you need to have some things in the house yeah. ready to go um, and you're not shopping for the whole meal every time you cook. Right, right. Yes, absolutely. We have a pretty stocked pantry, which is fantastic. And usually I would say I tend to shop for the week thinking, uh, like Claire said, about um, you know meals for throughout the whole week. But sometimes, yeah, you know, we have a grocery store walking distance, which is great too. And if I am in the mood for something as well, I feel that absolutely will stop for something on the way home. So I usually try to plan out my week just to make it as easy as possible and not getting home from the grocery store at eight now, eight thirty. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I love that idea of having a stocked pantry too. That is a great idea. Yeah. And I think to Carla's point, 
Um, you can get a couple things going on Sunday night. Like you can cook a pot of wheat berries or farro or any any grain, quinoa, whatever, um, and just have that in your pantry. You can roast off some vegetables if you have, you know, you know carrot or broccoli, anything. And I found that when, or even, you know, hard boil or soft boil some eggs and just keep yeah. those in the fridge. Because I found that if you have even just one component that's kind of ready to go, it feels like such a like less of a heavy lift to totally. make to get dinner on on the table and something that I work in the test kitchen and I turn to my our test kitchen manager Brad like you know three times a week I'm like Brad what's for dinner <laughs> like basically which is me which is my way of saying like what are we gonna do like you go home you know where, when you go home and I go home like what are we gonna do right how are we gonna feed ourselves and it's we're always then like like trying to say like well what do we have like what you know what's what's the starting point and the jumping off point and that kind of is that's that tailors itself well to car- sort of Carla's philosophy of weeknight cooking of like, all right, you got one thing, like what can you build around that? Right. So I think having just sort of a critical mass of those things done on Sunday night is so, so helpful. And then, yeah, you can run by the store and grab a bunch of leafy greens on your way or a piece of fish or something. And you're like, okay, I, I can kind of see this coming together. Claire's being modest too, because she, um, she, she solves all these problems for a living. And then when she goes home, she wants everything to be done in one pan with the least amount of dishes. Um, so actually I'm thinking about your steak and pea and asparagus dish, which is, um, has been really popular with our readers and online. Um, so, and it's on our new, it's on eBasically. basically. Um, so if you go to eatbasically.com, there's this one skillet steak with peas and asparagus dish, which you build everything in one. Do you have a cast iron skillet? We do. And Good. I love cast iron. Cookies. Yeah. They're like, they'll last forever and never not be there for you. So that that's like one of the <laughs> best tools that you could possibly have. So you build everything in one in one skillet, but it, the way that Claire wrote it, it's, it's smart because you do the steak first, right? And yep. take it out. And then while the steak is resting, you have that same pan and you get your veg going in there. And that way it doesn't feel like some one pan stuff can just sort of feel like a big, just everything got thrown in one bucket together, <laughs> you know, but this is like, you cook the steak the way the steak should be cooked. And then you do your vegetables. And then there's a really nice, like very simple mustard sauce. It's a stir together. Mm. Um, and the whole thing comes together in like 25 minutes, but you're sitting down to like steak dinner. Right. It's really, it's, and it's great. Um, and you could do that once you sort of, if you go through that dish, then immediately you're going to be like, oh, I could do this same exact thing with like, first of all, any cut of steak, but also with a pork chop or chicken thighs, chicken thighs, or, um, you know, um, I always have a pound or two of um, sweet and hot sausages in the, in the freezer. And we'll, I'll bring those up the night before just thinking, yeah, what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, So you could throw four sausages in there or a, um, a thing of kielbasa and, you know, it's the same thing. You, when you start with the protein and take it out, then you have that like delicious beginnings of a pan sauce in the bottom of the pan. And then the vegetables get nice seasoning. And I also really believe I used to make fun of myself because half of my refrigerator (laughs) is condiments. And then I realized when you shop smaller and you shop more frequently, like that, those are building blocks, especially for weeknight meals, because one ingredient can have, you know, a spicy, sour, um, bitter, you know, 
flavor profile, um, which just makes everything happen really fast. Yeah, like something like soy sauce and fish sauce, which are long fermented products that like all the time and flavor is built into the product. And so you can add it and it takes, you know, you're doing a process that maybe takes 15 minutes, but you're getting all the flavor benefit of this product that has been, you know, fermented for a long time and has all this complexity. So I think like I love, it's my, my entire, I mean, I live alone in New York mm-hmm. and my entire refrigerator is condiments. Yeah. And like, a bottle of rosé that I've had in there forever because I don't drink (laughs) wine by myself in my apartment. But but I love, I'm a firm believer in one skillet cooking because A, it's easy and like I don't have roommates and no one to do my dishes. And so I like sit at home and like eat out of the skillet that I cooked everything in because I don't want to do the dishes. But the benefit is that like all the flavor that you're building in the skillet stays in the skillet. And so you're not you're not right. losing anything and, and it and it makes I think a very flavorful dish at the end. Another dish that I liked from that same story of sort of one skillet dinners was um, like a chicken thigh with orzo and you cook the orzo in the skillet in you kind of toast it in the chicken fat and then you you cook it like um, risotto. Right. And so that's really oh. easy. Um, yeah, she figured out how to make pasta and chicken without bringing a pot of water to boil for the for the pasta. It was I hate brilliant. separate. I hate I hate more than one thing on my stove. It just doesn't I don't like it. It doesn't work for me. Um and yeah, I'm glad you Carla brought up basically because it's a new website that we launched a couple of weeks ago and it's focused on really makeable uh, relatively short recipes really quick. with short ingredient lists, but that were what we really wanted the recipes to feel like they had a big payoff. And that brings up another good point, which is that I love canned chickpeas. This is kind of the point Me too. Carla made earlier about the pan, you know, stocking your pantry. It's like having those things you can reach for and just open a can or open a jar. Yeah. It's so easy. I, I mean, mean, I love making beans from scratch also, and that could be a Sunday project or something I do over the yeah. weekend. And then maybe, you know, maybe we have like a bean and kale soup for Sunday night, but I went at the same time, I just make extra beans and put those away. That's fine. If you have time on the weekend, great, go for it. But the rest of the week, like it's hard to beat a Goya chickpea. Oh, totally. And I think of, of all the canned beans, the chickpea it like holds a, up the best. I know I'm cooking chickpeas as soon as we get back in the kitchen, actually. It's my favorite. I was like all the beans. messing around with a white bean yesterday and I was like, it's falling apart and I should have just used chickpeas. Um, I also think that, um, having like building a bowl, um, which we talk about a lot as a, as a, as a strategy. So Claire was saying, you know, cooking some grains over the weekend beforehand, I, when I have time and I think about it, I do that, but I really do on a week for a weeknight meal. I love rice. First of all, just love rice and, um, short grain, white rice and basmati that like Texmati, the, you know, um, Jasmine, those rices have a 10 or 11 minute cook time. And sometimes I will just start the rice because I know that I, I need a foundation and then kind of open up the fridge and figure out, what's going to go on top. And I can't tell you like how many times I stirred together sambal olek and um, mayonnaise and was like instant condiment, creamy sauce, creamy, spicy sauce. Um, And you can really just, that's a great time to have an egg, some pickles, some fresh veg, maybe some leftover cooked vegetables and, you know, shred some carrots and just sort of my husband and I used to call this burning clean when it was just like really a veggie bowl, but take a little bit of care and season those individual things. And then you put them in a bowl and, 
I mean, it's really satisfying and it's, and it, and it cooks really quickly. I, I could eat an egg every night pretty much. Totally. Amen. The, the thing that I think that we, we think a lot about weeknight cooking in the test kitchen because every, uh, every month we have a column called dinner tonight, which is answering that question. Like what, what's for dinner? Yeah. Um, and sometimes a chef will contribute recipes that they cook at home. And sometimes just one of the test kitchen editors tackles it. And it really does represent the kind of cooking that we do on a weeknight. And one of the things that pops up month after month is the like store-bought rotisserie chicken. Oh yeah. I was going to say that too. It's so, there's something about a rotisserie chicken. Like even though they usually come out, like no matter where you go, they usually come out a little overcooked. Mm-hmm. And but that's part of the, the beauty but somehow. But it's so good. Like yeah. it, the, something about the rotisserie action, like it, it's delicious and it's the best shortcut. Can I tell you my takes like an hour? Can I tell you? Well, I have a half hour. I have a half hour spatchcock chicken, which I did. Where have you been keeping that? I did a video of it. It's a 30 minute roast chicken. It's what? Yes. It's fantastic. And you just stick it in the oven. So you don't even have to. Yeah. So that's on our website under videos. That that should be a recipe. It's got to be on YouTube too. We'll send it to you. I'm going to find the link and we'll send it to you. Um, but wait, what was I going to say? Oh, a trick for rotisserie chicken. So this is what I don't like. I don't like it when you bring the rotisserie chicken home and maybe two or three people have it, but then you have half of that chicken left and it's in the big oval tray. And then that tray takes up so much room in the fridge and people don't want, they look at it and they're like, Oh, it's already been kind of picked over. Like I don't want to deal with it basically. So when we have, rotisserie chicken and then I'm putting the leftovers away. I'll pull all of the meat (laughs) off the chicken before I put it away and pack that into a deli container. And somehow like when the chicken's already been, it's a, such a simple thing and it takes five minutes, but your, your chances of using up those leftovers, like go way up. Um, and it also creates space in the fridge. So that's and then when you come home and you're like, oh, there's chicken meat and it's already like pulled into beautiful, like perfect little bite-sized pieces. Like you can make chicken salad in five minutes. Yeah. Mm. It's the base of so many recipes that are on our website. Our oh. editor-in-chief, Adam Rappaport, like loves, loves loves using that as a jumping off point for all sorts of like his pot pie recipe, which we have. Taco night in America. Taco night. Um, any any number of variations on chicken salad, which of which we have many on our website. Also. Stir, stir fry. I mean, I think stir fries are a great way to go too. And most most groceries grocery stores will sell proteins like beef, pork, chicken already in the that like stir fry. And the beauty of those is you do a little chopping to start yourself off, and then everything happens again in one pan in about you know ten or twelve minutes. Yeah, and, and that's the kind of thing where if you kind of are planning ahead and you're like, okay, I'll do maybe a short rib stir fry Tuesday night on Monday night. If you're already if you're cooking something else, you can say, oh, I'll bang out a little bit of the prep for tomorrow because right. I do think chopping is something that slows yeah. home cooks down can take a long time. Yeah. So yeah, like as much as you can kind of do your mise en place, get you know getting everything prepped out beforehand, the better. And then it's just so easy to take things out of the fridge and throw it into one. All right. Well, Emily, we hope this is good strategy for you and gave you some ideas. How does it sound? It is amazing. My mouth is watering and I cannot thank you guys enough. This is so exciting. I feel confident and ready to get cooking. Oh, my God. I love it. I'm I'm excited now. (laughs) Me too. So so happy we could give you some ideas. Have a great one. Thank you. Bye. 
my name's Joe. I'm from Chicago. Um, I'm an avid home cook. Uh, I've been cooking pretty ambitious stuff uh, for the past couple of years, and pasta has always been something that's been kind of out of my reach. Um, and it keeps haunting me, too. <laughs> I tried to uh, make, like, ravioli, pappardelle, um, traditional, like, fettuccine, like, I, I I just can't get it right. <laughs> cool. It's dry. It rips apart. It leaves the water all scummy. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right. Cool. So I'm looking at Carla because she's like our resident Italian in the oh. test kitchen. So the, the only the only fresh pasta I make is the one I watch my mom make. Right. <laughs> I do not. No, she has a great. She uses a Giuliano Bugiali recipe. Let's get her in who, here. Yeah. Seriously. So and he's he's great source on. Um, Italian Tuscan food and pasta especially. But yeah, I, I'm like really interested to see what the answer to this question is. <laughs> we have some idea. We have some ideas. We did like powwow for a minute before, but um, can I just ask you just to get a sense of the, the things that you're great at and like where you're really comfortable. So like what, when you're cooking, what is your just like, don't even have to think about it. I nail this every time kind of dish. Um, Basically, any kind of veggie dish, I've gotten really, really good at making some al dente veggies. Um, I think if you don't like veggies, I think you're not cooking them right. Mm. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, so, like that, I do really good. Um, actually, like stocks. I'm a mm. huge stock guy. Um, I've been trying to master like the perfect ramen stock. That's mm. kind of difficult because I, I usually end up just kind of like going back to a traditional like American like homeland stock, like the mm-hmm. chicken, pork, bay leaf, thyme, yeah. veggies, all that stuff. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I I am pretty comfortable in the kitchen. And I actually have an awesome pasta roller as well that I got from a thrift store like a few years back. Um, and <laughs> so I was so excited to get it. And I think at the time um, I was uh, trying to impress a girl in college and I drove all the way downtown when I was out in college in the suburbs and I um, made ravioli for her. But even then, um, it was like too thick and half of them opened up. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> Yeah, I don't well, know. Well, you get points for trying anyway. Seriously. Yeah, appreciate it. So is the roller like the hand crank kind? Yeah, that's exactly it. It kind of like fastens to the counter with mm-hmm. a little press. It's, uh-huh. um, I actually, you know, it's weird. I saw it at like a crate and barrel recently, like the same model. So I think they've just been making the same kind of thing for a very long time. Yeah, yeah. it's just a <laughs> simple mechanics. So do you, have you experimented with different recipes or are you trying to make the same recipe work, even though it's, it's not worked for you in the past? So, so I've definitely tried different recipes. Um, I think a big issue is like kind of early on, um, I approach cooking as more of an art form. So, um, baking and, and doughs and all that kind of are just beyond my grasp. Um, so I never really kept like a ledger of what recipes I was using. Mm-hmm. So I would just like, whenever I would have the idea to make some pasta, I would go online and, you know, scour the internet, 
maybe end up on your page, maybe maybe end up on some random blog, trying to find ones with good comments, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Also, like, I've been trying to find the right, like, mixture of flour as well. Right. I don't even know where to get half the flour. Right. So are you using, and does this, are the doughs egg, no egg, oil, no oil, or have you tried everything? Most of them have been with egg. And I think one or two of them had oil in them. Mm-hmm. So, and so you said you talked about flour and how sometimes you have a hard time finding the right kind of flour. Are you using all purpose? Or are you trying to find that double zero, the like hard Italian wheat flour? Right. Um, yeah, I I haven't found. <laughs> well, I've I've just been using like uh, what is it, King's King, King Arthur? Arthur. Yeah. Yeah. So and I've just, been using that, and then I think I made a huge mistake one time. It was, like, calling for semolina, and I used, um, uh, gosh, what's the rough cut? Corn. Polenta <laughs> or grits? Meal. Like cornmeal. Corn yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that was terrible. <laughs> yeah, I think this is where I think, like, nomenclature about flour gets very confusing, Um and I like semolina. This I think needs to be fact checked. But my understanding of semolina is that it's refers to it is wheat, but it refers to more the grind of the wheat. Like mm. it's more of a coarse oh, grind. Okay. Like it's like semolina wheat flour. So it can look a lot like cornmeal. I think because it mm-hmm. is coarser, but it is in fact like a, a wheat product. So that that gets very confusing. And even I'm like. Semolina polenta, the same or different, but the, but they are. I think <laughs> semolina is a wheat product, um, but I think you can get a good result with fresh homemade pasta by using like a you know a King Arthur all-purpose flour. That that particular flour is pretty high in gluten, mm-hmm. um, and okay. gluten is what you're trying to develop when you mix pasta, and that's what's giving pasta its sort of like springiness, that sort of toothsomeness and chewiness that you're going for. Um, sure. And so I'm curious, when you're making it, are you doing it in a bowl? Are you doing sort of the traditional, like, make a well in the flour on your counter and then putting the eggs in the middle? Like, what's your mixing process? Right. So um, definitely the the well deal. Um, usually on the counter just to make a huge mess. Um, so, yeah. And then I kind of just, like, beat the egg and then just start incorporating a little bit of flour at a time. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean – it's pasta is a fresh pasta is a great example of one of those things where it's so simple. It's like three ingredients at its simplest. It's, <laughs> it's flour, egg, and salt, but it makes such. It's all about finding that perfect proportion so that your dough is pliable and soft, but it's not so sticky. And you know, and on the other hand, it's not so dry that it's going to crack, which sounds like the problem that you're having. So right. it, it's the kind of thing where the, you know, the the proportion is so important, and so something like weighing your flour might be. Um, right. might might be one of the keys versus um, like measuring it in a cup measure where there can be a huge, like as much as a 25% difference in weight. You know, you, some one person measures one cup of flour, it's four ounces. Another person weighs a cup of flour, it's like four and a half ounces or even five ounces. So that might be a place to start. And then also like just the size of the eggs that you're using, a large egg versus an extra large egg can, can, right. be, can be like actually, again, like a pretty big difference yeah, in, think, in uh, size. Yeah, I think between large and jumbo, it's like 30% more liquid or water content. Right. Um, I was also going to suggest that, you know, rolling dough, rolling the dough out as thinly as you want it for, you mentioned parpadelle at the beginning and ravioli like that. um, It's not, I mean, the dough should work, but you're kind of 
you're making it a little bit harder on yourself, right? So the thinner and longer those sheets get, the more you're having to use both arms to guide them down to the surface. And, you know, if the dough is cracking at all, it's going to be even more challenging. So I think it sounds like you are not um, intimidated and you're like happy to jump into like a high level of difficulty. But, um, and there are, I mean, I just looked up three different fresh pastas on our website and they run the gamut from one that is just wheat flour and semolina and hot water. That's from Rolf and daughters. Um, hot water. Yeah. Okay. Which is weird. I wanted to ask you, Claire, is that like jump starting the gluten? Activation? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hot water will, will produce a lot more gluten than cold water, which is why like for pie dough, we always use ice water. Right. It, it prevents we don't want them gluten chewy. formation. Yeah. And, and gluten again is what's making, giving it that really nice chew. Right. So that one is um, really basic and, and it's just called homemade pasta. Um, but we also ran a recipe from a chef at a restaurant in, in L.A. called Alimento, Zach Pollock. And his recipe has a different ratio of wheat and semolina. And he adds a little bit of oil, which just I don't intuitively like I feel like the oil will help give it also like you were complaining about it, a dryness and a cracking. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think it kind of like when it when it's running through um, the the roller, it, it tends to stick as well. Mm. And I think that would probably help with that too. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. I mean, you need to, you want to be flowering it so that it moves through. The other thing I like right. about his dough though, and it might be fun to kind of, you know, take a few steps backwards um, and approach it in a different way is to try his dough because instead of rolling it really thinly, you'd shape it with your hands like you're messing around with Play-Doh. Um, and his pasta had a really nice chew to it. So basically you make the dough, you let it rest for an hour, and then you um, cut it into pieces and then roll those like, you know, kind of like you're rolling out a snake where you take a piece in front of you and roll it out and moving your fingers out to the edges of the piece so it's a little thicker in the middle and more tapered at the ends. Um, is that like a like an, what is it that, like an oyachetti or uh, no it's not um, is that one called is that the name of yeah, that one yeah but his was yes it is you roll it out into a log then you cut the log into diet you know sort of on an angle half inch pieces and then you just roll those out like you a little kid could do this I mean it's like so that might you know then you're not relying so much on the roller and the visual cues, but you're going to be handling this dough with your hands and feeling how it feels. And right. it might just be, a, you know, because like dough and bread and pasta and all this stuff, it's like it's very simple, but there's also a knack to it. And a lot of it, like when Claire was working on the bread primer, it was like, you know, if it was a humid day in the kitchen, if it was five degrees warmer, if it was five degrees colder, like mm -hmm. have big effects. Yeah. And even time of the year. I mean, this is, you don't get this so much with wheat like King Arthur that's um, like has a very standardized protein content, but even like times of the year when the wheat is grown can have a difference in the amount of protein in the wheat and therefore how it behaves. Um, but I, I think a couple things also when you're mixing the dough that I thought about were that if you're using that method of creating a well in, 
in the flour and adding the eggs and then you're incorporating mm. that flour in from the edges is like don't feel like you have to use all of that flour because mm. even though the recipe says you know oh, you should use okay. <laughs> three cups so if you're like leave some around the edge and then as you're as the dough comes together and you're able to knead it you can you know only add that flour if you feel like the dough is pretty sticky because mm. you know immediately if I'm, I'm thinking like if it's cracking and falling apart it feels like there's maybe you just don't have enough liquid in there and so right. like yeah keep the same proportion you've been working with but maybe try holding back a couple of tablespoons of that flour and and only adding it if you think the dough seems really sticky um or even just a little bit tacky like if you poke your finger in and you pull your finger out of the dough and you it, there's a little bit of a pull you know you can you can mm-hmm. incorporate a little bit of that flour maybe a tablespoon at a time and then the other thing is okay. I'm, I'm wondering if yeah. you're letting your dough rest after you mix it that's another thing <laughs> so so if if there's one thing uh, that's probably my fault is my lack of patience. So oh, uh, uh-huh. Claire has yeah. that. Uh-huh. In <laughs> okay, I'm right. Sorry. I'm no, sorry. no, that's cool. Look, I'm I I have the same problem in the kitchen. I like Claire's I, forever cutting into warm loaves of things, and we're all like, we're we're not mad at oh, you, but like you're supposed to let that cool. It is a huge. It's a fault. It's a huge weakness. I yeah. I'm I'm also have in super impatient moments. But the reason that's important for letting your dough rest is you are giving a chance not only for the gluten to relax because gluten forms these long um, like elastic strands that when the dough really wants to contract. So resting is makes it easier to roll out the dough. It becomes more the word is extensible, so it's mm. able to sort of stretch more. Um, but you are also letting that flour hydrate. So that feels like a really important thing where, and also the dough should be really smooth when you're letting it rest with like no floury spots. So that's the other thing is maybe you, it's possible that you're not working the dough enough in the like initial mixing Mm -hmm. phase. You want it to be really smooth. Um, like no, you know, no floury dry spots and working the dough is what's developing that gluten. So you'll get this nice texture, um, at the end, but then letting it rest so that not only do those gluten strands relax and you're able to roll it out thinner, but the flour is hydrating even more. So that should also make it easier to work with. And it actually makes it like less sticky at the same time. So if your dough is like on the one hand sticking and on the other hand dry and cracking, I think that resting phase is important. And I know it's hard, but you could even let it go for like a couple hours. <laughs> yeah, of you don't resting. have to be oh, really? so. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You, m- more is more is more. And at that point, you can also <laughs> a little bit under. I think it's better to err on the side of maybe a slightly wetter dough than you're used to, because you can always add flour mm-hmm. as you're working it through the machine. Um, but sure, you, but right. it's harder to you can't. It's a lot harder to add moisture at the point at which you're rolling it out. So so yeah, I, maybe I maybe also- yeah. Go ahead. I feel like I, um, I hit this point. It's like the panic moment. Um, <laughs> so like I'm incorporating the flour, um, everything's going well. And then I'm like in the back of my head is this little voice being like, don't work it too much. Cause then it'll turn into rubber. And then I kind of keep working it. And then, um, yeah. And then it, I, I feel like at that point I'm either like, it's like a make or break and, as as of late I've been breaking. Mm. So um I I don't know. And then when you are letting it rest, is that covered with a wet towel in the fridge kind of thing or out on the table? Yeah. Usually room, yeah, room temperature plastic wrap. 
Yeah, yeah. Just okay. you don't want, you don't want to dry out, so plastic wrap is good. But yeah, room temperature, and I think that's that's an interesting point about when you're working with dough because there's some doughs that you don't want to work a lot, and others that you do. Like pie dough, you don't want to overwork because you're going for a tender, um, like flaky product. So you, you mm. don't want to develop gluten. But pasta, the gluten is like a desired. You know, that's you want you want to work it. Al dente texture. Yeah. So so that fear of like, oh, I'm going to overwork it. That's that's one you can ignore. This yeah, work through that one next okay. time and, and okay, push good. push past that phase of fear, <laughs> and and go okay. ahead and work it until the dough is really smooth and elastic. And there's no fear of like you you overworking because it's also a, it's it's still going to be a fairly stiff dough. So you have to kind of manhandle it yeah. like a certain amount in the beginning. Yeah. Sure. Well, I, and the other thing too, I I just was thinking about it like after I contacted you guys about this. Um, I do live fairly close to Italy. Yeah, so. I was going to say, if you're in Chicago, you have, yeah. <laughs> you've got Italian markets, like no problem. So you're, you're yeah. going to be able to find semolina flour. You're going to be able to find like Durham flour. I, I, you know, it'll be fun and get some like, you know, get some mozzarella and some nice olive oil while you're at it. <laughs> and a nice bottle of wine. And a nice bottle of wine. <laughs> um, one other thing uh, with sifting. Not necessary. Nope. If you're, especially if you're going to weigh the flour. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, right. I mean, I don't, I don't know okay. if you have a kitchen scale. It's a great thing to have if you're an avid home cook um, anyway. Oh, no, I, told, I totally have one. I use it oh, for good. like pour overs and stuff. Perfect. So. Great. Oh, you're way ahead of the game. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I would say <laughs> maybe switch to weights. And then you definitely don't have to sift because there's no, you're not incorporating the flour into like a, a dough or a batter or anything. So you don't have to worry. L- lumps are going to solve yeah. themselves once you start kneading. So you should be fine. Perfect. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. So, thanks for calling. Yeah, we appreciate your question and love talking about homemade pasta. So yeah, yeah let, let us know how it turns out. I definitely will. Awesome. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Joe. The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Emma Wurtzman and Carrie Polis and edited by Mitra Kaboli. Our theme music is by Valerie and the Grady's, with additional music by Nathaniel Wartsman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.